C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And before we introduce our guest, um, it's only me and the guest because uh, poor sweet David is not feeling well and Shay has to take care of him and the children. So we wish David a speedy recovery. I'm pretty sure he's fine. Maybe a mild food poisoning, but um, that's why... Shay's not here, um, and you're stuck with me, so we have a very special guest, the return of producer Jenny from France. Woohoo! I'm back! The last time we heard from you was when we were recording with Celia when I came to visit, I think. Oh, yeah. So well, that was fun. Bonjour, yeah. I guess. So we thought it would be fun for her to come on this episode, and, um, you know, later in the episode, I will pepper her with questions about her time in France, so... We're pumped about that. I'm sorry, I found a hair. I don't know whose it is. <laughs> We're in Jenny's sleeping loft that she's been subletting for the past two years. So, <laughs> so it really is anyone's game. <laughs> yes. Um, cool. All right. Well, we can start with millennial moments. Okay. I don't know. Jenny, do you want to start? I feel like my whole life <laughs> is like a millennial moment currently because um, I'm working temporarily at a startup. Um, which has been a whole experience. Um, and then also on top of that, um, I just got a new job. And so I'm like having all of these, like, I feel like that's a very millennial thing to be like, why did nobody teach me how to pay taxes? Like, I'm absolutely having that now because I'm like, oh, someone ordered something, perhaps. Probably Nilsu. Um, but... Yeah, I'm having, like, a ton of millennial moments right now where I'm like, oh, God, like, I'm actually, like, adulting now. How does one do that? Yes. So I just, like, got an offer letter and I had to have sweet, sweet Madeline read over it for me to make sure that, like, I mean, I can't picture that this employer would do anything shady um but yeah just in case we were kind of talking about this earlier it's like there's a lot of stuff like that that you know you get good at just like from experience and like there's unfortunate like even like I was kind of thinking about it after we were talking about it like just a few minutes ago that like there's a lot of stuff like I feel like filling out a tax return as an example or like what to do generally like in a job interview like those are things that you could have like a high school class about but like reviewing an offer letter like every industry is so specific like even some of the stuff like you were applying to a job like in the government like I've never had to do that but like you just like I feel like my I had that experience just because I had a lot of internships Mm. that were like more like formalized like I feel like a lot of the work that you did in college was like babysitting (laughs) yeah like babysitting where it's like maybe there's not like a formal thing or it's like oh, like, this is just what you get. Like, you don't get, like, any benefits. It's just, like, we'll pay you X amount. And it's, like, cool. So that's, like, the extent of, like, the offer. Yeah. Um, But I remember, like, I think it's always a good idea to get, like, a second set of eyes on it, even if you're, like, good at it. Like, when I got my offer at my last job, like, I had my mom read it because she's a lawyer. So, like, it's always just a good practice. But it's hard because I feel like every industry, like, it's so 
specific for that kind of stuff that it's hard to just like have a blanket like this is what you do I think it's more like educating people on like what are you worth like what is your time worth and like what is the industry standard because like if you got a job offer that was like we're only offering you three days of PTO for the whole year like if you didn't know that that's like a ridiculous amount or like you're used to working hourly with like no PTO you might take that and be like great that's awesome like amazing when in actuality like they're just fucking you over you know like um like Maddie mentioned, so I'm working um I'm working in government now, so I am in fact real She's life part of the man. I am the real system. life Leslie Nope. <laughs> yes. Um so I am like working for the government and the other interesting thing was I just recently was kind of learning how to negotiate. Um and because I was like negotiating a job offer that didn't end up working out. Um and So that was, like, a whole stressful experience was trying to negotiate and then – and now it's, like, funny because I work in government and so it's, like, this is what we're paying you and it's very apparent and you knew when you applied for this job, like, this is how much we were paying you. Yeah. Everything else was kind of a mystery and I'd been told, like, oh, yeah, if you work for the government, you'll get great benefits, but – It's, like, what does that mean? What does that mean that, like, that could mean different things to different people? Like, maybe you don't really care to have a, like, higher salary, but, like, if you get, like, four weeks paid vacation, like, that really matters to you. Yeah. So, the the salary was very clear, but, like, it's also just interesting because I do feel like that was something I really struggled with, and now it's just, like, not a problem, and they're like, this is your salary. This is when we're going to give you raises. Like, this is how much your raises are going to be. Yeah. And so... It's even, like, within, like, jobs like that, like, it's a lot easier because you don't have to, like, negotiate all those finer points, but, like, we were talking about the other day, like, there's other, like sort of, like, under-the-radar, like, policies for people that, like, need flexible work arrangements or, like, unpaid time off, like, that kind of stuff where it's, like, they're not going to advertise that on your offer letter, like, in your orientation. But, like, I think a lot of people, when they work in government, they're like, oh, this is just it. There's, like, no room. But a lot of times they have, like, policies around other stuff. And it's just, like, I think that's the greatest lesson. Like, you just have to ask, and, like, most people are very accommodating, and it's, like, the worst that they're going to say is no, or, like, oh, you misinterpreted that, and then they'll, like, explain it to you. But I feel like so many people are scared to, like, even just ask the, like, clarifying question that they end up losing out on a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I do think it will be, I, um, like, I'm having to fill out a background check, obviously, and (laughs) I have a lot of questions on, on the background check because, like, most of my references are based in France and so like the form won't accept their phone numbers so there's just like a lot of questions that I'm having to ask and it's like what do you do yeah it's like what do you do because it's like I really like because I mean I think that is another thing is like realizing like what a giant bureaucracy everything is because I applied for the job that I just got an offer on I applied for it in I'm, I think I applied for it in June. Yeah. And I'm just now, like, and my start date, like, is possibly, like, not until mid-October. Yeah. Well, I feel like also some of those jobs, like, in the government and stuff, like, they're evergreen, like, applications, meaning, like, they always have, they're always accepting applications on the website, but they probably only, like, review them when they need it. That's actually not the case with the organization okay. I'm working for. They put postings up and then... So it just took they, them, like, three months to get through all the applications. Yeah. yeah. It took... Either it took them three months or they open... Well, because the other thing about government work is a lot of times they yeah, have to have over. it open for a certain amount of time. Right. So they can't do, like, an 
not, I don't want to say a normal employer, but like, like a private company, a private company where a private company is like, oh, well, we found a great candidate on the first day. So we're just going to take the posting down. Right. Like legally they have to have it up for a certain time. Yeah. Um, and that's the other frustrating thing is they also have to post jobs that might not necessarily be available. Like it's yeah. like if you personally at your company that you work at, like, if they were thinking of an internal hire, they might not even put the posting up on their website because what's the point? But because it's a government organization, legally they have to, and legally they have to interview all the qualified candidates that they receive. Yeah. So, I mean, they could make up some BS reason, like, oh, you're not qualified because you you didn't take this one class in college. So, like, they could make up reasons, but at the end of the day, it's like, there could be a job that's taken that you're going in for. Yeah. Um, so many nuances. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances. Um, and so I'll be interested to see, like, once I start and, like, how that is. Yeah, like, if it's, like, yeah, I think that's, like, the pros and cons of, like, working for the government is, like, it's very well-defined, like, this is your job, this is the responsibilities, this is, like, the hours that you work. Exactly. Because you can, like, plan your life around it. But if you're, like, oh, I want to, like, do this special project and, like apply for funding or, like, do something that's, like, a little bit above and beyond, like, they might not be used to that level of, like, someone who's, like, enthused to be there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, like, people that want to go above and beyond, or if you're, like, I'm happy to, like, stay late and work on this or, like, do the, yeah, like, you might get a lot of people who, like, are the gatekeepers and they're, like, I've just been sitting here for 20 years and I don't care about your, like, ideas. Yeah. So. Um, and the other... The other thing is, um, I'm also coming from like, which Maddie knows this because we have chatted yeah. about it quite pretty much the a opposite lot. organization. Pretty where, much like, the <laughs> opposite. Like I'm working for a startup. Currently, only three of us work there. The other two people that work there are like the founders of the company. Um, and like I, I probably should go back and review the email, but like my responsibilities were not made particularly clear. Like yeah. when I actually sat down and had a conversation, was like, hey, so like. What things should I be focusing on? Because I can't get everything done in the amount of time that you're giving me. Um, they were like, oh, well, we mostly want you to focus on, like, this part of your job. And I was like, oh. <laughs> that, that wasn't clear. That was not clear to me based on the tasks that I've been given and also, like, the initial presentation of the job. Yeah. Like, what I was told I would be doing. Yeah, and I think even more so, like, I think as companies get older, like, my company's kind of going through this where we were, like, a very small startup and then kind of, like, a medium-sized startup and then we went public and now it's, like, we're becoming a more established organization and with that comes, like, more policies and procedures and stuff. Um, And I think, like, even compared to, like, the company that I worked for straight out of college, like, it was very, like, it was almost, and I think this was by design, like, a lot of the founding people, like, designed the corporate structure and, like, the hierarchy after the military which I think a lot of government organizations, like, the military is, like, the pioneer with, like, like, industrial organizational psychology, like, as a field is, like, based on, like, military studies. And so, like, at my old job, it was very much, like, a rank structure where you went from, like, analyst to associate to VP and you had to be there for a certain number of years and there was, like, not a lot of room for negotiation and, like, the salaries, like, there was a ban so it wasn't as, like, prescriptive as the government where it's, like, this is exactly, like, the percentage you're going to get. It was kind of, like, a band. So, like, there was some opportunity if you wanted to go above and beyond to, like, get the higher end of the band. But, like, I was doing a bunch of work that was, like, way outside of my original job description and was much higher level work because we were having so many um, people quit. 
And I was like, I'm not even going to be eligible for promotion for like a year and a half. Yeah. And like, there's no way around it. Whereas like at my current company, like there's a little bit of that where it's like, yeah, there's like a stepping stone and I do have like a job description and like goals I'm trying to meet. But like, if I do a really great job, like there's another promotion cycle in January, like I just got promoted, but like, there's nothing that's like, you can only get promoted once every two years or you have to get these. So like, if I can make the case for myself, like I could get promoted, but the flip side is like, they definitely fire people like not willy nilly, like it's for a reason, but like they can restructure the organization. They can like make departments obsolete. They can just be like, you're not doing a good job. Like you're fired and that's just it. Like your job's done. So I think it's interesting, like, as private companies, like, you're, the company that you're at now is, like, at the very beginning stages of even being a company, so, like, they don't even have, like, I'm sure if you went to them and were, like, I feel, I mean, you've worked there for a short period of time, but if you were, like, I want to get promoted, like, you wouldn't even have the basis to be, like, what am I being measured against? I technically don't even know what I, my job title is. Yeah. Like, I was trying to put you it on a resume <laughs> because... Essentially, we had, like, a trial period, and it seemed like maybe I would get moved to full-time, but I wasn't super sure on that. And then when we had, like, a conversation, they were like, no, no, we, like, can really only do someone part-time right now. And I was like, okay, that's fair enough. Like, whatever. That just means I need to keep gunning for full-time jobs. Um, So I was, like, making a resume, and I... You were sitting next to me, and I was like, I don't know what my job title is, so I'm just going to make one up because I need to have something that's showing that I'm working at this company because I don't know how long I'm going to be looking. And then it turned out, I think I got my job offer, like, two days after I made that resume. Yeah. So. No, I'm sure, like, if Shay was here, I remember, like, at her previous organization when she was in New York, I think there were, like, five or six people. And, like, I remember she sat down with her boss, and they were like, She's like, these are the things, it was kind of like, I feel like at a government organization or like a more established company, it's like, you have the list of job descriptions and they find someone to fit it. Whereas like, kind of the opposite happened. Like, she was like, these are the things that I do on a day-to-day basis. What's a job title that fits these descriptions? So it's kind of the opposite. Well, I do think because, um, so I'm, it's kind of like... I was about to say, it's almost like I'm working at a church (laughs) because there is like the central organization that I am working for, but each different like branch of the organization is very insular. So when I had my initial phone screen for my current position, the, um, the recruiter was like, okay, like this is like generally like what you're going to be doing. And then like, as you, like, move through grad school, because that's also a really great part of my job, is I do have to be a student, which is cool. Um, So, like, they're totally supportive of me being in school and also working full-time, because I have to, to have this job, which is awesome. Because I think sometimes companies do worry about hiring someone that's in grad school, just because they're like, are you going to have time to, like, fully devote? And this is, like, you have to do both. And I think it is going to... Because I'm working in the field that I'm going to grad school for, so... I, um, it's like directly applicable. Yeah, it's directly ap- applicable. And I feel like, I feel like I'm like veiling everything this whole conversation just because I'm like, I don't want to be like, this is where I'm working because I still haven't like finished my background track and like I still don't have an official start date. Yeah. Um, but I am, uh, but I am going to get my master's in library science. So I'm working for a big government so you library. Can put something together. <laughs> so, uh, so for listeners that need to put two and two together, I'm working at a big government library in New York. So, yeah. <laughs> you can probably figure it out. Um, but anyway, so 
each branch is really, really individual. So after my initial phone screen, I was like, okay, so like I'm not going to be able to like do programming and stuff until like I'm a year or two into my master's. That's cool. Like it'll be good. Give me time to learn the ropes. And then I went in for my interview like with a manager at the branch where I would be working. And she was like, oh yeah, like we hit the ground running. I want your programming ideas. Like what do you think we could do right now? And I was like, oh, (laughs) I was not expecting this for like two to five years. So I, I do think that like, it is a lot more prescriptive, but also there's still room to, there's still, I'm not working in a section of the government where it's that prescriptive. I'm working in a part where it's like, there is definitely some wiggle room depending on the different branch you're working at and like the different manager you have. Like, I think it totally depends. Yeah. That's cool. Nice update on what you're doing now. Um, my millennial moment, I feel like I've talked a lot about the po- this podcast about my renovation <laughs> and we haven't, because we had the 100th episode that just came out and then we'll have one more um, interview with someone else before this comes out. So I feel like I haven't given like all of the updates, but the renovation is underway. Corey and I are going to go to the apartment after this and see how it's going, but it's like within, it seems to be going on schedule, so we'll see. Um, but... It was very fortuitous because Sarah, also former guest of the pod, who lives with Jenny, moved out with her boyfriend. So Jenny had an open room. And so Corey and I are on an air mattress in <laughs> the um, in one of the rooms in Jenny's apartment. So it's been very fun all hanging out and nice blast from the past because Jenny and I used to live together in college for a brief moment. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's it's really worked out because we're also in the same neighborhood and stuff so we can check in on the renovation. It's like wild, the renovation, because I went on the first day and it was basically like, there just was a hole in the wall where the bathroom once was. There was like nothing. And then I went back like two days later and I was like, okay, there are like walls now. And then like Corey went the day after and he was like, there's like more stuff there. So I'm interested because that was like on Wednesday. So they did like two more days worth of work since then to see like even more of what they've been able to do. And I'm really hoping they're going to be done ahead of schedule, which I feel like is unheard of in a New York City renovation. So maybe that'll be a first. But um, it's been good. It's been, I feel like, less... Like, when I was cleaning up the apartment and, like, packing stuff up and, like, coming here, I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, crazy. And uh, my original plan was just going to be, like, we were just going to couch surf for, like, three weeks. And then we found a sublet that was, like, fine, but it wasn't in a very desirable location. It was very expensive. And so I feel like this is kind of like the best of both worlds where it's not that expensive and we get to stay in one place and be with friends and enjoy the roof deck. I know we did. We had like an impromptu roof party last night, which was great. I know. I owe Jenny more white claws because everyone (laughs) drank them. (laughs) Everyone loves a claw, you know? (sighs) Claws the law, man. I know. I still think it's hilarious. I wonder if the national shortage is still on because apparently we're all a bunch of thirsty white bitches. Yeah. Well, there's so many different brands, too. Like, oh, yeah. I had the Bon and Viv for the first time the other day, which was good. I really like the Bon and Viv, actually. Yeah. I think I probably prefer it to White, White Claw, Claw, but yeah. White Claw is... I mean, honestly, like, they all... It's the industry gold pretty, standard. They pretty much taste yeah. the same. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, that's the millennial moment. Once my bathroom's done, I'll post I'll post some pics, some before and after pics. We can do a little HGTV camp adulthood crossover. I'm really sad that the Property Brothers were not involved in this. I know. (laughs) 
I was just reading one of the Property Brothers. This is like so lame because all the listeners are going to be like, this is like not information because I'm only remembering half the story. But one of the Property Brothers I was reading was like dating someone super famous. Oh, and yeah. I was like, what? And then they like broke up shortly thereafter. I saw it on Facebook, like a Facebook group that I'm a part of for like celebrity gossip. But um, anywho, so that's my millennial moment. So now we can switch gears into um, any hot topics, anything happening in the world. You can skip if you want. Um, (laughs) Or any like good books you're reading, any like recommendations or like stuff. I have so many recommendations. I know. For like this great nation. (laughs) (laughs) Camper Nation. Camper Nation. It's like Bachelor Nation, but exactly. better. Exactly. Um, I'm trying to think. I am. Oh, well, I guess like I'm reading a lot of books right now because that's just like my MO in yeah. life is I'm just always like reading a bunch of books. Um, But none of them are particularly like amazing and revolutionary and I would like recommend them. But I would say like if you haven't in a minute, like go check out your local library. See what's there. Like there's a lot of services and stuff that I think people don't realize are available to them for free. Yeah. Like, I paid for Audible for so long, and now I'm like, what (laughs) was I paying for? Because I can get the exact same thing from the library for free. Yeah. And And it's it's like, if you pay taxes, you're already, like, putting money towards it, so you might as well take advantage. And also, go to your local library, because then I will get to keep my job for longer, (laughs) because they won't close them down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they have fun. I know, like, they redid the local library in my hometown, like, when I was in high school. And it was, like, they, like, passed a whole, like, millage thing and people were, like, bah, 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 bah. but now it's, like, super nice. And, like, especially, like, seniors and, like, kids, like, they do all sorts of, like, story time and, like, literacy events. And I remember, like, even, I know the library, it's, like, you're renting books, but I know, like, some libraries, like, once a year they'll do, like, a big, like, used book sale to, like, get rid of inventory. And those are always fun because you can get, like cool books for like a dollar and it like supports the library and stuff oh yeah and if you still have a dvd player you yeah. can get like oh yeah cds full that was my seasons of shows i got the bloomfield township public library shout out to buy like every cd i wanted in high school exactly because <laughs> that was like pre like spotify and stuff so like you had to like buy it on itunes or like buy a physical cd and i would just be like this is what I want. And then I don't know what the system was. I think they needed like more than one person to request it or like it had to be like of a certain like there was some system. And so I would just be like, I'd like have my brother like also request it. You figured out how to get yeah. the system. <laughs> but I mean, now it's like part of the library and like other people can have it. So it's all good. And you've got great music taste. So yeah. everyone is welcome. Also, we went to So Far oh, on yeah. Friday. That was fun. It was super cool. And um, my favorite act from that night, her name is Kate Yeager, and her music is awesome, so, like, everyone go check her out on Spotify. Yeah. She's great. That was fun. And for people that don't know so far, because it's, like, all over the country, it's, like, they do, like, smaller sort of, like, independent concerts in non-concert venues, so, like, the one we went to was in a tattoo shop, so, like, that was cool. Yeah, I went it's to one good, in an like, office building. Yeah. And they sometimes do them in, like, people's homes and stuff, so it's, like, a cool thing. Um, that's fun. I... My hot topic, I, I'll link to the um, article in the show notes, but I was reading the most recent art, uh, most recent issue of New York Magazine with Renee Zellweger on the cover, and there was a very, like, fun article, and it was talking about, like, millennial icons, but they picked, like, villains, so it was, like, Ooh. Mark Zuckerberg and, like, um, Ben Salman, the, like, uh... I don't know what his actual title is, but he's, like, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. 
and um, Kim Jong-un, they're, Mm. like, all millennials. And so they were talking about, like, they were... It it was a very cool article because it was, like, talking about these guys and how, like, Mark Zuckerberg obviously is, like, the one of the pioneers of social media, which has, like, changed millennial life in so many ways. And then the international conflicts, like, most people don't realize that a lot of these, like, dictatorships or, like, sort of bad actors are a lot younger than you think that they are. And so that was interesting to read about. But they were kind of poking fun at, like, millennials. Like, they were talking about, like, Kim Jong-un, like, loves the Chicago Bulls and he's, like, very into, like, random, like, American pop culture in a way that, like... American millennials are as well, but also he just, like, is a crazy person. So they were kind of poking fun at, like, millennial stereotypes of, like, avocado toast and, like, random stuff that, like, millennials like. And they were like, oh, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, like, also likes that stuff. But then they were also, like, you know, kind of poking fun at the fact that a lot of millennials, including myself, blame baby boomers for a lot of issues, which obviously all of these people that I mentioned are... They didn't just happen overnight. Like, they're part of a system that has happened for a long time. But also, they're, like, they were basically calling on millennials to be, like, find your people, educate them, because you have some, like, really unsavory characters in your midst. Um, But it was kind of a fun... It was, like, an informative article, like, about these people, but also was kind of, like, if we keep propping up these people, if we keep giving them attention or, like, not taking their ideas seriously, it's going to end up being... It's going to end up poorly, and we're not going to have our parents to blame for it because it's on us. So I just thought it was interesting. That actually made me think of something that I feel like could be definitely a hot topic that I would love your thoughts on. Um, So are you... How familiar are you with, like, love languages? I'm familiar. Okay. So um, if anyone's not familiar, there are five love languages, and it's, like, how you give and receive love the best. So there's physical touch, verbal affirmations gift giving, acts of service, which is like, oh, you don't like doing the dishes. I'll do the dishes for you. Um, And then quality time. And I am having this very weird moment where I just moved back from another country. So as I was moving back, I had like 150 pounds of luggage and I was like, I hate myself. Where did I get all this crap? (laughs) Like, and I was like, I was like, I want to get back on, like, my minimalism game. Like, I want to be, like, more sustainable. Um, I'm trying to do, like, lower waste stuff. Um, Even though I know, like, the no waste movement is really... it's. I actually, like, didn't know this until recently, but it's for corporations. It's like... They don't have to pay for packaging? No, it's like... It's to encourage corporations to cut down on their waste because, like, the average person... Like, a company, any product you buy, like... Right, there's, like, force obsolescence, so they're throwing stuff away more than you as an individual are going to throw stuff away, right? And also for, like, every object you buy, generally, like, whatever waste you generate, the company generated ten times that waste, creating the... Right, the So, yeah. Yeah, so, like, zero waste is actually really more for companies, but it has kind of caught on with, I feel like, more so people our age. Uh, like, like I definitely think, like, being low-waste yeah. is a millennial thing. Especially, it's like, oh, you've got your cool straws and, like, save the sea turtles and, like, all this stuff. But, like, it's been something that I've been interested in for a while. Um, however, I'm having this really strange moment, I promise this all, like, ties together, <laughs> where I've had a really stressful period of time um, just, like, between job hunting and moving back to New York. And I, like was dating someone and the breakup was like a little bit traumatic and then I like moved countries so I was having a really stressful period and my mom's love language is gift giving 
And so I'm here, like, trying to have, like, a lower waist, like, more eco-friendly, minimalist, like, lifestyle. But then my mom's love language is gift giving. So every time I'm in a period of stress, I'm so used to my mom being like, well, it's okay to, like, go out and, like, treat yourself and buy a couple new lipsticks or, like, buy, like, because I'm used to her just, like, giving me things to make me feel better. Yeah. And I'm having this really weird conflict where when I was really stressed, I was wanting to, like, get stuff, but that's, like, it doesn't jive with, like, how I'm trying to live my life now, and that's definitely a big struggle, and I, I think that that is, I wonder how many other millennials are also dealing with this, because it's, like, I'm sure a lot, like, I think that's a common thing, even to take it, like, a step further from, like, the gift-giving angle, I feel like a lot of millennials struggle with that if, like, the way that you were raised or the way that your parents interact with you isn't the way that you want to be treated now, or, like, if you have parents that have different political views or different religious views, it's, like, you're always up against that, like, oh, this is how I'm used to being treated, this is how I'm used to interacting with this person, but it's not what I want my life to be like now, so I think that's, like, super relatable, and I think, like, the gift-giving thing is interesting because I think it's nice to get treated, like, but maybe you can reframe it and, like, in a way that's, like, you can still get the gift. Because I'm sure it's, like, gratifying for your mom. Like, if that is her love language, like, you don't just want to, like, be like, oh, yeah, after, like, 60-plus years of life, like, let's just change how you interact with everyone. But maybe you can be, like, instead of getting things, you can be, like, maybe a restaurant gift certificate or, like, a grocery store gift certificate so you can, like, buy stuff that you know you'll use or, like, a stuff from, like the package free shop or like if you have like maybe you can give her some ideas of like this is stuff that I use that's like more minimal rather than just like letting her go free at the mall like picking out whatever crap she wants well and also it's it's not so much that she's buying me things now she it's more that like like you want to buy stuff for yourself yes because like I grew up and it was like if I was sad my mom and I would like go to American Eagle and like pick out a new sweater and it's like I don't need to do that. And, like, that yeah. does not jive with, like, how I want to live my life now. Yeah. And also, but I think part Maybe of it... instead of doing that, you could get, like, a small, like, like, a small little thing. I don't know. Yeah. Or, like, save it up. Be, like, instead of every time, you can, like, keep it log and be, like, like, once you get to, like, five, like, or, like, an accomplishment, like, celebrating something good, you can be, like, once, instead of going to American Eagle every time, it's, like, after, like, the fifth big thing, then you go to American Eagle. Like, there's ways to, like still maintain that in your lifestyle, maybe, but not do it, like, excessively. Yeah. I think it's more just, like, I'm trying to be less consumerist, but then when I get in stressful periods, my instinct is to go yeah. back to consumerism, and it's... Yeah. And then I feel well, bad. It's hard. I feel like especially because in a lot of ways, I think about this a lot, because I feel like, like, I think things are more visible, too, because of, like, Instagram and, like, social media, yeah. but it's, like, I think we're living in like yes there's things that are like more cheaply made so you end up having to throw them away because they break but I also think that like because it's so competitive for corporations that like there are like I feel like we're in the golden age of like stuff that works that's like relatively cheap which is good for people that like don't make a lot of money and like want to have like a relatively comfortable lifestyle but it also kind of divorces that ownership aspect of the item. Like, if even if it's a really, like, super quality item, but you only paid $5 for it, if you lose it or, like, leave it on the train or something, you're not going to be that upset about the waste because you're like, I only spent $5 on it. Right. Or, like, if you're moving to, like, a new apartment or something and you're like, I want to redecorate, like, there's a lot of, like, really good, high-quality, like, decorative stuff out there that I feel like didn't exist. Like, when our parents were in college, they were like, 
I have one, like, I know your mom talks about this, like, clothes were much more expensive when she was in grad school, so she only had, like, two outfits. Sorry, Anne, we're, like, giving away all your secrets on this podcast. I don't think she knows how to listen to podcasts. (laughs) That's fine. So, (laughs) don't Um, know that Anne is a listener yet. We will work on it. Yeah. Um, But I just think that's, but it's, like, I think, I would have to venture to guess, obviously, Anne's not here to, like, talk about herself. Obviously, she's a very, like, frugal, like, independent lady, but... I would have, I would venture to guess, probably not excessively, but if clothes were cheaper and they were cute and like in style or like what she wanted, she would have more than two outfits. It's just she only had them because that's like what she could afford and like they were high quality. And also like clothes were so much more expensive. Right. Because I know exactly what you're talking about. So she had two pairs of pants <laughs> and three shirts. Yeah. And she would just like switch off. Right. Which is great for the environment, but like. I'm sure after a while, like, that got super boring, and I'm sure she, like, wanted to treat herself at some point, but was like, shit, it's too expensive. Exactly. So I'm sure she would have loved the Forever 21 if it was around, although Forever 21's going bankrupt, I'm pretty sure, like, this week they're gonna file. Oh, shit. Yeah, I've been following that, because I think, to bring it full circle, I had to venture, I'm just guessing, I don't, I haven't done that much research about it, I've just been, like, reading about it in the news, but I think there is a big push amongst millennials like, when we were in high school, at least for me, like, Forever 21 was, like, the rage and, like, H&M. But yeah. now people are moving away from it. Now that millennials are, like, in our mid to late 20s or 30s and you're, like, I, w- I can afford to, like, maybe get a little higher quality piece. Like, and I think even, like, the younger kids, like, we've interviewed Shay's cousin Kelsey a couple times. Like, they're very, I think even more so than us, like, very focused on the environment. And, like, they're very educated about, like, how bad fast fashion is in, like, an industry, so they're not shopping there, and, like, older millennials aren't shopping there, so all these brands are, like, going out of business. Yeah. And, I mean, that's definitely, yeah, fast fashion is really terrible, and part of the way I have been trying to curb my, like, I'm stressed, let me be consumeristic, is I do use ThreadUp a lot, and oh, yeah. I just, I have a giant order from ThreadUp Which is, coming. like, an online, like, vintage, like, thrift shop. Yeah, basically. it's an online thrift shop. It's yeah. really, and it's really great, and then it's, like, I'm, I think I got, I got a lot of clothes, but also part of it is I am very tired of all my clothes, because yeah. I wore the same things for two years. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I sometimes bought- you need, that's the point that I was making about your mom, it's, like, it's, if you have the choice, like, if you have so many choices, like, then you can make the right choice. But if you only have one choice available to you, you're just going to do that thing. Yeah. But I feel like now we can see, like, things that are trendy and there's more options to buy stuff. So if you just take that to the end of the degree, you're just going to yeah. buy all the stuff. And also I feel like... you have more choices. I feel partially it's, like, an Instagram thing and, like, a social media thing because it's, like, you also are constantly inundated with, like ads and then also you're constantly inundated with your friends having things and like oh look at my friend that like just got like a new purse that I really like but I can't afford it right now and so I think that yeah there's definitely a lot of comparison I actually I'm sure this is like a terrible thing but I fall for Instagram ads all the time because I'm like they know me better than I know myself they're so convincing especially with clothes I'm like oh my god this is affordable it's like an ethical site it's like recycled cotton And then I, like, buy the thing for $25. But I also, like, we've talked about this. Like, I don't buy clothes that often. Like, even with Instagram ads, it's usually... I mean, you get ads because you're, like, Googling shit, right? So it's usually when I'm, like, in a period of, like, I need a new pair of pants or something that that's when I'll start getting the Instagram ads that will then... Yeah. That I'll then use. But I don't get them all the time, I feel like, unless I'm, like, in that 
cycle. Yeah, like, but I, I know some people just, like, shop all the time for clothes, and that's just, like, the thing that they do that they like as, like, a hobby. Yeah, like, I just got a new mattress, and I'm still getting ads for mattresses, and I'm like, fam, I bought this, like, two weeks ago. Like, I don't, stop showing me ads. I don't care. Yeah, I know. Facebook and Instagram need to, like, be more real time. Have you ever looked up, like, why they think you these ads are relevant to you? Yes, I did that. There was, like, a big... Everyone was doing it for, like, a minute, yeah. and I did it. And some of the stuff, I was like, this is not true. Yeah, I... Shay and I, I feel like we did that... I think there was an episode of the podcast that we we both looked up our stuff. Mm. And I think it was on Facebook, particularly. Yeah. And I think I also looked at Twitter, because I was curious. Because I know Facebook, Instagram are, like, owned by the same thing, so it's, like, the same yeah. stuff. Um, And it was funny, because, like, between Facebook and Twitter, it was, like, different profiles. So I was oh, like... Oh, Wow. And I was like, this makes sense, though, because I feel like a lot of this stuff, like, I feel like I'm much more, like, I don't post a lot on Twitter, but I, like, like stuff and, like, retweet. Like, I'm more of, like, a lurker, but I do interact with, like, other people's posts. And I feel like I'm a lot more, like, like, there's a lot of comedians that I follow on Twitter that I don't follow on Instagram. Mm. And so, and a lot of them are, like, like... I don't know, like, men and stuff that I wouldn't follow on Instagram, but I'm, like, they tell funny jokes. So, like, some of the stuff on Twitter was, like, more, like, masculine-type product. Not that we should be gendering products, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, stuff that's more marketed towards men, because I follow a lot more men on Twitter, versus Instagram is, like, I follow a lot of bachelor people. I follow a lot of, like, you know, just, like, celebrities. Like, most of my friends are women that I follow on Instagram, so, like, it was a lot more, like, feminine products. And also, like, the political skew. I think that was, like, one of the dimensions was they, like, try to guess, like, what your political leanings are so they can send you fake news during the oh, elections. God. Oh, my God. That's, um, like... And I remember looking at it and I was like, this is not how I feel at all. I was like, I agree with some of this stuff, but, like, not all of it. It was very enlightening. I don't know if you had the same experience where you were like, some of this fits to a T, but some of this is just, like, completely off base. Well, some of my stuff is in French. Yeah. So, <laughs> You're like, like I still this? get ads in French, and I'm just like, and advertising there does, it is a little bit different. Um, yeah. But also, it's a lot easier for me to tune out, because I'm just like, if I don't want to make the effort to, like, read right. this ad, like, then I can just, like, scroll past it. Like, I do find yeah. French That's ads a lot easier to ignore, but I'm getting more and more ads in English again, and I'm like, <laughs> transitioning away yeah i miss do you remember when instagram didn't have ads that was cool that was like a cool time to be alive yeah wish that was still a thing i know they'll cycle there will be like there'll be a new there'll be like a new thing yeah yeah i mean right now it's tiktok but i refuse to get on that no i got yelled at so many times either i wasn't either and the kid that i watched last year she would like yell at me for interrupting her while she was trying to make tiktoks and that just like turned me off of the whole thing yeah. i was like if a 12 year old is this obsessed i as an adult probably like don't need to be like touching yeah it. definitely yeah there's certain things that are trendy with like middle schoolers that like we just don't need as adults like let the children have it um well i think that's a good transition you were talking about advertisements in french to talk about i know you've only been back in the u.s um for a short period of time, and we should tell our listeners who maybe haven't kept up, you were all pairing the last two years with two yeah. different families. So essentially, I was like adopted in exchange yeah. for like childcare. So yeah. that was pretty cool. So you were living, you had like your own sort of space, but you were kind of like yeah. next to the family home. So in France, uh, at least Paris particularly, the way the apartment buildings are built, um, most of them are like over 100 years old, and they have maids' quarters that 
families will turn into, like, micro studios, and they'll either rent them out to students, or if they have kids, they might get no pair. Um, so the last two years, the first year I had, like, a really small studio, um, that Maddie came and <laughs> slept in. It was fun. Yeah, it was fine. Um, the only annoying thing was I did not have a kitchen space, so I had to cook in the whole family's house, and so for my second year, I was just very much, like, I need, like, a full... Apartment. Not even a full apartment, like, because my studio this year was, like, not or, like, was not massive. Like, I would probably say it was, like, 200 square feet. Yeah. But it did have a full kitchen, and it had a bathroom, which was great, because the bathroom, the public bathroom on my floor this year was a squat toilet. Oh, great. It had a great view of the Eiffel Tower, though. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) Yeah, someone was asking me, they were like, why would they, like, make that the view from the squat toilet? I'm like, I'm pretty sure the building was here before the (laughs) Eiffel Tower. Yeah. (laughs) So. They did not have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. So... I know you were babysitting before you got, when you were in New York, before you got to Paris. So maybe we can start with that. Like, I'm interested in, like, comparisons since you lived in oh, France yeah. for so long. Like, comparisons between, like, French culture and American culture. So did you see, like, a difference? Obviously, you were only exposed to, like, a couple of families. But did you see, like, a difference in parenting styles between French and American um, families or like the way that like the young especially I feel like the second family you had had like a little bit of older kids who are yeah. maybe they're like Gen Z but probably similar lifestyles to millennials yeah well okay so my first host family like the parents were just really busy and they were also older parents so they were just like checked out so over it yeah like that and that was really frustrating for me as a caregiver because like I had no power because the kids weren't allowed to have screen during the week so if I took their tv away on the weekend like 80% of the time the parents would just like forget and then let the kids so the kids like had no consequences so that was like exhausting and also I do find that at least my experience with French kids versus American kids French kids are much more, ne- they will negotiate in a way that I'm not used to. Hmm. I'm used to Like American- they act more like adults? Like they're more like precocious kind of? No, like they will just, they will push harder to get their way because I think, I don't, I think in the U.S. it's like a very it's much. they're more like independent? Whereas like in the U.S. there's more like helicopter parents or like parents that are more like obsessed with their kids? Definitely, definitely, definitely. Because like in France, like my host kids, my host kid last year was allowed to walk home by herself and she's 11 and it was a 20 minute walk and she had walked through Jardin de Luxembourg. So like she was walking through a really big park. Um, and they live in a really affluent area. Yeah. So it, it wasn't like anywhere she was walking. Right. It was like That's sketchy. still a city. But like. I don't know any, like, New York parent that would let their kid walk that far by themselves at 11. Yeah. Like, that just does not, it just does not seem like a thing. Like, my, the kid, the kids that I used to watch, the older one is now, in New York, is now allowed to walk home by himself, but it's a 10 minute walk, um, and he's 12, and he's gonna have a cell phone. Yeah. And it's like, uh, this last year, my host kid did not have a cell phone. And, like, there was one time where there was a miscommunication about what time she was coming home from school, and she didn't have a phone, so she just was like, just... she's missing. We were, I was just like, where is my kid? <laughs> um, and she, like, it was, like, a whole thing, because 
she waited for me for like an hour and a half. And I was like, why wouldn't you just walk home? It's clear that I like didn't know that you were done with school. Or like go into the school and like borrow a phone to try to call you or something. Like, yeah, it was like a whole, (laughs) it was a whole like, at least she had the wherewithal to like sit there and not just like wander off somewhere randomly. Well, and then later on it became, and then after that, her mom was like, if Jenny doesn't show up after like 15 minutes, just come home. And then, and the kid was like, oh, okay. But, yeah, that was just, like, like she would take the subway by herself. She would walk from her grandmother's house by herself. That's, like, 25 minutes. It was, she just had a lot more independence than I think yeah. would be granted to American kids. That's which, very interesting. At least in terms of kids that live in a city. Like, yeah. I walked to school by myself when I was, like, eight. But right. it was around the corner and I live... I was, like, was from, like, in the, in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. So, it was, like, what could have possibly happened? Right. But, um, yeah, I would definitely say. And then also just, like, French kids, it would just be, I'm just used to, like, and maybe this is just, like, specifically the families that I've worked with. And, like, I do not do well with spoiled children. I'm just, yeah. like, I have very little patience for it. Like, um, and they're, they're just, is, like, there's an amount of negotiation. Like, the kid and I got into an argument because she wanted to stay up until 10.30. I was like, um, no, you're going to bed at 9.30. And then she was, like, trying to negotiate. And I got really mad at her because she just, like, w- kept on about it. And I'm just used to American like, kids. no, I made a decision. Sorry. I, exactly. I'm, like, I'm very used to American kids being, like, okay, the adult is in charge. And, like, what they say goes. And... That was just, like, not... Yeah. She was so... And with her parents, like... And the same thing with the girls that I had the year before. They were always, like, down to, like, argue and negotiate because it worked. Yeah. It worked with her parents, and I just got so tired that it worked with me, too. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's just, like, a really big thing in the States is, like, listening to adults. Yeah. Like, I would have never argued. Yeah. With, like, a babysitter. Especially, like, an au pair that lives with you. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, like, and she, and I remember, I was like, Alban, can you just listen to me? And she was like, I'm just negotiating. Like, it's not that big a deal. You're getting too upset. And I'm like, no. I want you to listen to me. There should be no negotiation. Like, I am in charge and you are a child and I am an adult. Like, you have to listen to me. Which I think it has its pros and cons because I think it does allow kids to feel more empowered. Yeah. And, like, she was totally fine going on the subway by herself because she felt empowered to be on her own in, in public, in a city. Like, she felt empowered, um, which I think American kids might not be. Yeah. Because it's like, they're used to having their hands held a little bit more, and they're used to helicopter parents yeah. a little bit more. That's interesting. Um, so other aspects of French life, the just, like, living in, like, obviously Paris is a really big city comparable to New York, like, were there any, like, just you living there, like, lifestyle things that you either liked or, like, stuff that you missed about New York? Um, I missed food being open late, because yes. that's, like, not a thing. Um, and I missed the subway being open all night, because that mm-hmm. is also not a thing, and the night bus is, like, Sketch. it's fine, but it's, like, not 80% <laughs> drunk people. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which maybe you were like, one of those people. <laughs> it's, like, either drunk or homeless people. No, if yeah. I was drunk, I was like, no, nah, I'm taking an Uber. Yeah. Can't deal with, like, public transit. That's good. That's more <laughs> safe. Um, but I definitely think um, it's a lot more relaxed. But then there's also things that are a lot more efficient. Like, um, there's currently, there was a subway strike um, on Friday, and only 
two of the 14 lines was were running on regular service, and that's because they don't need drivers for their trains. Yeah. But also in Paris, it's my unlimited metro card was 36 euros a month yeah. for uh, me as a student, and then if you're, like, a regular person, it's 70 euros a month. So it's just, like, that is so much cheaper, and yeah. the subway works way better, and the buses work way better. Like, the buses show up, there are, like, boards that tell you how often they're coming, they come between, like, every, like, five and ten minutes, the subway comes every three to four minutes, so that totally spoiled me, I miss that a lot. Um, food was a lot cheaper. That's interesting. Yeah, like, food was, I didn't realize it, um, but I would always, like, on weekends when I was just, like, not wanting to cook, um, I would get frozen pizza, and there was, like... The, like, name brand frozen pizza from the store was, like, three euros. And yeah. here it's, like, if you want to get a frozen pizza... It's, like, ten dollars. It's, like, between five and ten dollars. And I was, like, wow, okay, that's, like, unusual. Yeah. Um, and there's just, like, a lot more emphasis on, like, fresh food. Like, mm-hmm. I... Right down the street from my apartment this year, there was this really great square where there was a subway stop. And, like, you had the boulangerie. Yeah. So, like, the bread store right next to the butcher, right next to a fish store, right next to a fruit and veg shop. Like... It was yeah. everything you would find in a grocery store, but all fresh and all, like, right next to each other. And it was really cool to, like, go and you would yeah. get your fancy cheese and then go and get your bread and then buying all the different... So that's, like, still a thing there. And yeah. I really miss that a lot. Um, but I would... I, I miss it a lot. I also miss being able to just, like, hop on a plane and go. Yeah. Um, and, like, I mean, you could do that here. It's just not places you would want to go. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, like... I don't know. I feel like there is a much bigger cultural difference. Like, I went to... Well, people have a lot more vacation time in That is Europe. true. I miss the vacation <laughs> So they time. can go... You can, like, go on, like, trips. Yeah. Like, I... Every six weeks, the kids would have two weeks off, and a lot of times the parents would take them somewhere. So I only... Out of all yeah, the vacations, I think I worked a total of, like, four yeah. days or something. It was... And now, your new job, you don't get to take vacation for four months. Yeah, I know. I don't get any vacation time. And until February. Yeah. So that's cool. Even though my new job, like, I get a solid amount of vacation. Yeah. It just, like, I can't use it right now. (laughs) Yeah. And definitely not, like, one week every six weeks. (laughs) No. Yeah. That's not happening. Um, Yeah. That's true. I would say, like, even from my time, like, studying abroad in London, like, the plane, you can find more, they have more, like, budget airlines in Europe. Oh, yeah. Which is nice. And, like, the trains, obviously, and even, like, the night buses or, like, ferries and stuff. Like, I was in London, so you had to either take, like, a bus or a ferry, like, across the channel to get anywhere in Europe if you weren't flying. Um, so, yeah, I would think that, I think that's a big difference. It's just more of, like, a traveling culture. Yeah. Whereas here, it's more, like, cars. Like, we went on a weekend trip and, like, we rented a car, which right. I feel like is not as common in Europe. Oh, definitely not. And road tripping in Europe is arguably terrible because, like, yeah. they don't have <laughs> like rest stops. Like, roadside stuff, yeah. They don't have rest stops like we do, which is, I mean, whatever, that's, like... <laughs> your culture, but I do remember me and my mom and my brother were road tripping, um, going to different castles in France, and we ate McDonald's four times because there were just just no other options. That was the option, and a lot of times the gas stations wouldn't even have, like, a convenience store, so there were no bathrooms. Right. Um. Yeah, it's very interesting. But, so that kind of aspect of road tripping was definitely different, and I, it was like, I'd give it, like, about a C. Yeah. But better I would to take say, the train next time. Better to take the train. But I would say, like, I had a long weekend and I found out that I had it off and I talked to one of my friends and I was like, hey, I want to go somewhere. Like, 
let's there's this website called Skyscanner. I, this is also like a recommendation. Yeah. Um, they have a little thing where you can say what airport you're flying out of, and you can say I want to look at flights going anywhere. And so I did that, and I was like, cool, do you want to go to Stockholm or do you want to go to Belgrade? And she was like, well, I've been to Stockholm, and she's like, I've never been to Belgrade. And then, so we went to Serbia for a weekend, and it was an excellent time. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's also the special thing of, like, even, like, just the place in life that you were in, because you had a lot of friends who were also au pairs or, like, students, so you guys could, like, travel, whereas, like, I'm sure, like, expats who work in Paris, like for the government or for, like, a private corporation, like, yes, you do get those, like, holidays where you can travel, but it's not, like, you know, just, like, randomly on the weekends, you probably would be, like, oh, yeah. more established, so that's, like... I don't know. I my host dad... Lifestyle. My host dad, like, decided to take the kids on a last-minute trip to Morocco. That's true. So, like... And they were also bougie as hell. <laughs> they were very bougie. Yeah. They were... But no, I definitely think that, like, I can agree with that, that the American culture is, like, you go, like, if you're, like, a typical family, like, maybe you'll go on, like, one vacation a year, whether that's, like, you know, something bougie or, like, a cruise or even, like, families that go camping, like, you'll do, like, one big thing maybe over the summer, but it's not, like, all the time, even, like, once a quarter or, like, once a month or, like, weekend trips, like, don't really happen for most families. The other thing is, is, and maybe this is just because, like, if you can afford no pair, you're, like, right. you're upper class. Like, yeah. just if you have the money and the space to... House to house someone, like, then you just, like, have more money. I think 80% of the families I either knew of, like, just through interviewing or, like, my friends' families or my family, all of them had country houses. Yeah. Every single one. And it was such a thing that, like, the host families would go away every week into their country house. Yeah. Like, I knew one family, um, and their country house was 45 minutes outside the city. <laughs> Like, it wasn't even Not far. Even far. <laughs> yeah. But they, every weekend, they just, like, went to the country house. Yeah. Because, I mean, I guess that's kind of, like, big city, like, New York families have people, like, houses in the Hamptons and stuff. So that's, But I don't like, think they go every weekend. No. Like, it's that's the thing. farther. That is true. Our country is, our country is a lot bigger. Yeah. So it's, like, uh, people do have vacation right. homes. Like, but... my parents have a vacation home in northern Michigan, but it's, like, a three-and-a-half, four-hour drive. So, like, we did go a lot, like, over the summer growing up, but definitely not every weekend. Yeah. That, I would say, like, because my first host family, they had a beach house, um, which it's, like, not even... France has, like, okay beaches if you go south, but, yeah. like, northern beaches, they're pebbly and they're yeah. cold. Yeah. So... Did they have a northern beach house? Yeah, they did. Like, um, it's I guess it's not... kind of, like, people that have vacation houses in, like, the Pacific Northwest on the coast. Yeah, that's like, true. like, it's nice, but it's not, like, beachy. Yeah. Yeah, there was a very funny misunderstanding where they were saying that they were going for a bath, um, and I misunderstood bath to mean donut. So I kept being like, where are these donuts that we're supposed yeah. to be getting? Because the word for bath is beignet. And the, uh, I thought we were going to get beignets. <laughs> so it was a very... That's that, funny. That was also a thing where, like, my language skills... Yeah. Did I tell you that I, um, I told a bank that the girl before me got deported instead of uh. saying she moved? <laughs> Whoops. I discovered yeah. that because they were, like, We can talk me. about that. Like, did you feel like there was a big barrier to, like, meeting people or just, like, doing things? Or did you feel like by the end you were, like, I'm a pro and it doesn't really matter? Like, how I did you feel? fine at the end. I didn't speak French as much as I could have because both my host families wanted me to speak English. Yeah. Was um, it hard, like, making... Because I know a lot of your close friends were other, like, expats or people from, like, English-speaking countries. Like, did you find that it was hard to meet, like... 
French people your age? Yeah, I just, like, didn't have a good knack for it. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my friends in Italia, she has so many French friends, and I don't know how she did it. Yeah. But there would be multiple friends that she would be like, oh, blah, blah, blah's coming, and, like, just so you know, like, they don't speak English, so, like, we have to speak French while we're out with them. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, but also a lot of, like, young people in France speak English. Right. Like, I have straight up had, like, people my age be like, can we just speak English yeah. because my English is better than your French and it's easier. And I'm like, okay, rude, but also, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I would definitely say, like, and also, I think I might have said this on the podcast last time, but there's this comparison where Americans are like peaches. It's super easy to get in, but it's, like, really hard to get to that core. Yeah. So it's like... You might have, like, 20 people that you call a friend, right. but, like, only, like, two people who, like, are really, like, your best friends. Yeah. And in France... Well, it's also hard when you're, like, in a transient stage where it's, like, yeah. some people might be there for six months or a year, whereas, like, you were there for two years, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then also, like, French people are more like coconuts. They're hard on the outside. It's really hard to get to know them. But once you do, they're really nice and sweet and great. Yeah. But, like, to crack through that is really hard. Yeah. Um. So I do... It was definitely difficult. And also, it's, like... If I'm an expat and I'm, like, clearly, like, I had a friend that was dating a guy and they ended up breaking up because he's, like, I don't know where you're going to live in six months. Like, what's the point of this? Right. Yeah. I think that happens a lot, too. Like, in the military or, like, the Peace Corps, like, anytime you're, like, doing a program, yeah, where you're, like, I'm only going to be here for a short period of time and then, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, it's hard to have those, like, long... I mean, people do it. Like, people meet their husbands and wives, like, in the Peace Corps all the time, but, like... I think it's definitely harder. And if you have people who are doing the same things and, like, being an au pair is not easy. Like, was it harder than you thought it was going to be? Or do you think it was, like, about the same, like, amount of work? It was different than being a nanny, for sure. Because I, it's kind of hard. It's like you're salaried. Yeah. So you're kind of, like, always on call to a certain extent? To a certain extent. And then also you... Like, there's just, like, a disregard for your time that there yeah. isn't when you're hourly <laughs> right. and a childcare worker. Because, like, my first host family, they told me they would try and get home every day by 7.30. Most days I was Lies. not finishing until 9. <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, why do you always, like, run out, like, as soon as we come home? Like, you don't want to hang out with us. And I'm like, because I, like, it's <laughs> 9 o'clock and I have plans. Like, yeah. I have other friends and stuff. And it's like, I'm happy to chill with you guys, but yeah, like come home at 8 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> come home so I can, like, still make my plans with my friends, and yeah. then we can chill. Although I did hang out and watch the news in French with my host dad a lot, and we That's drank. Nice. And he also, Fierce. like, knew his children were difficult, and he would be like, how many beers do you want? And I'm like, your kids were difficult yes. today. I will need two. And he would go I did and... meet that host dad, and he did offer me a beer. He, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. And he asked me about Donald Trump. <laughs> he did. All French people are like, so what do you think about Donald Trump? And it's like, like, uh, I don't know well, him personally. <laughs> I, I don't know him personally, and also, I live in France, so what do you think that I think? Yeah. And it's also, like, you're getting your news. I mean, I'm sure you were still, like, on American sites and stuff, but it's not, like... It's, like, you were also living in France with them, so it's, like, oh, any yeah. news that they saw, like, you also saw. It's not like you were... Exactly. Getting special stuff. That was the thing that was so interesting to me, because I feel like in the U.S., like, you actively have to try and have international news, but in France, like... yeah. It's like they everything is international news. news. They have French news, but like they spend a good chunk of the like news hour talking about the US or the UK or yeah. other countries. I feel like that's definitely a thing. Like even in the UK when I was there for a short period of time, like other countries are like obsessed with the US. 
which is good. Like, it's good to have, and even, like, other countries, like, they're just more, like, international, whereas the U.S. is, like, very focused. Like, all the news is kind of filtered through, like, what does this mean for the U.S.? Like, that's the perspective that you have. Yeah. And whereas, I don't like, think that's the great. BBC, it's not, for sure. I think it's, but to your point, it's, like, the U.S. is as big as continental Europe, basically. So, like, there's a lot happening here. That is true. That, in the same way, like, if you're in France, it's like, okay, the UK, it's, like, a different state. It's, like, close enough that, like, what's happening there matters to you. So I think there's just not... I guess the generous interpretation I can give is that there's not a lot of time for other stuff when you're in, like, a huge country, but also there's definitely, like, an American exceptionalism attitude that pervades. Oh, 100%. That they're, like, we... Like everyone We're the else. best above all else. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, there's a lot of problems with our country. Like, yeah. I was telling a British friend about my benefits package at my new job, and the amount of times she's like, but you don't just get that? Yeah. Like, I was like, I get healthcare, and I don't have to pay it's for true. it. I mean, it's there's like definitely... included. And she was like, oh, is that, yeah. like, not a thing? I'm but like, it's also, like, to be fair, like, you got a lot of stuff in France that was free, but also, like, your host family was paying way higher taxes than, like people of that income bracket would be paying here. That is true. So, like, but it's great, like, as a person who's, like, I don't know what you would call yourself, like, a visiting person, like, you got to take advantage of that in a way that, like, even if you had a host family in the U.S. that wanted to provide that stuff to you, like, they might not be able to. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, yes and no, like, yeah, like, yes, I got really great healthcare while I was in France, um, but there's a double-edged sword that I don't think people realize, which was, it took me a year to find a doctor that accepted my... Because in France... Oh, yeah, what was that lady's name you were talking about? Uh, Dr. Krista Johnson. If you're in France, <laughs> if you're in Paris and you need a doctor, she is a hero. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she, it took me a year to find her, and she took... So in France, you have the general health care that everyone has, and then if you want to pay for more, you can. Um, and so some doctors, like, are more expensive, and so you really need that extra health care to be able to afford to go see them. Yeah. Um, but, so, it took me a year to find a doctor that took my, that was, like, affordable on my own, on my, like, regular, just normal person health insurance. Um, because for a while I was seeing a private doctor, and it was, like, 75 euros every time I needed to go to the doctor. Yeah. And that's, like, not sustainable. Yeah. Especially when you're an au pair and you're making 400 to 500 euros a month. Like, yeah. that's 20% of your income. Right. Um, yeah. So, I don't think people realize. That's, like, a good point to make is, like, I think, especially now that, like, we're going into the election, like, people have a very romantic notion of, like, socialized medicine and that it's, like, free. But, like, there still is a cost to it. In oh, a yeah. lot of ways, like, you know. And, Whether um, it's through taxes or even up for, like, you still have fees and stuff that you have to pay to, like, utilize these services. Well, that was because she was a private doctor. Generally, when I would go to, like, the normal doctor, it was, like, seven fifty, so it wasn't yeah. that expensive. But I would say the biggest thing is, like, as an expat who is taking advantage of, like, socialized medicine, it's important that your doctor speaks the same language as yeah. you. <laughs> like, yeah. I had to go in and I was having some, like, lady issues and I had to get um, an ultrasound done. Um... And, like, I was like, uh, do you know any, like, English-speaking ultrasound techs? And she was like, no. <laughs> so I had to just go and, like, hope for the best. Yeah. And I was, I, like, essentially had to tell the, like, tech, I was like, my, my French, French is, is basic. Yeah. My French is really basic. I'm not going to understand anything. I need you to, like, email my doctor and tell me, like, tell her what is going on. Right. Because normally they would just, like, relay the information to you in real time, um, and it actually turned out that the woman who did my ultrasound had lived in New York, so she was fine. And, like, it was fine, but I, that was a total crapshoot. I yeah. just, like, picked someone close to my house and 
David Sedaris has a really funny um, story about, like, how he would just agree with everything that everyone said when he was living in Paris. (laughs) And one of the things is he went to the doctor and they had asked him to take off his pants and, like, he, like, had had to get, I think, in his underwear or something. And then they told him to go into the waiting room and he missed that they told Uh, him to put a robe on that was, like, hanging on the door. And so he just, like, wanders into the waiting room (laughs) in his underwear. Classic. So it's just, like, going to the doctor when, like, you don't necessarily... And, like, I'm sure that's a struggle that people who are immigrating here have, where it's, like, the average American does not speak two languages. Like, we just don't. No, it's true. The amount of, like, funny looks that I've gotten when I've been able to help people and, like, because there were quite a few French tourists here in August because they just, like, take the month of August off. Yeah. There were a ton and there were, like, multiple times where I, like, had to explain, like, oh, hey, the machine's broken. Like, that's why your card's not working. And they were like, oh, okay. But, like, I would get looked at like I had two heads because they just do not expect it. Yeah. Which... Well, especially in the U.S. because it's, like, there are so many different, like, immigrant groups. It's, like, in France, I think you can reasonably expect, like, English or French yeah. But, like, what if someone from Russia comes, like, and they don't speak either? Like, they're going to be just, like, totally Oh, yeah. Fucked. It's like... Well... <laughs> you know what I mean? The interesting thing was when we were in Italy over the summer, um, so I was traveling with my best friend from home who was Spanish-speaking, and she heard these girls that were from... She guessed they were from Spain, but, like, we didn't actually speak with them. Yeah. Just, like, based on, like, slang and stuff. Um... But anyway, she was like, that's so interesting to me, because she could understand about 95% of the Italian, um, because Spanish is her first language, and she was like, oh yeah, it's really similar, but she heard these girls speaking to each other in Spanish, and then they asked a question to, like, whoever it was in English, and she was like, that's so weird, because Italian and Spanish are so similar. Yeah. But the common language was English, and I think... It just, like, we're super privileged, and I don't think we appreciate that privilege enough that, like... I think it's also something to be said, like, I think there's pockets of America where they have that, like, close to where I grew up, there's a big Middle Eastern population, so, like, you would go, you know, into those neighborhoods, and, like, all the signs would be in Arabic, and a lot of them wouldn't even have, like, an English translation, it just, like, would be that way. Yeah. And... You know, I'm sure there's parts of Europe that are like that as well. Like, you have, like, the Chinatowns and, like, the ethnic neighborhoods. But for mm-hmm. the most part, it's, like, whatever country you're in, like, whatever the official language is and maybe some English you'll have. Um, and I think, like, especially when you go down to, like, the border where there are a lot of immigrants mm-hmm. coming who don't speak English, like, they purposefully hire people into those, like, government positions who are bilingual. So I think, yes, like, the average American, like compared to Europeans, like, they speak less languages, but I think because we have so many immigrants from different places, like, you can, if you're like, oh, there's, like, a big influx, you know, there's a neighborhood here that, like, they all speak Polish, like, you can have people who, like, work at the government agencies there who, like, speak Polish for those people, but, um, I just think that that's, like, an interesting thing, like, did you find that, like, like, some of those bigger, like, political issues that were happening in France, like, people were more or less, like, accepting of immigrants? Or do you think it was, like, kind of the same that we're seeing, like, in the U.S.? Like, how did you feel, like, that kind of stuff that's happening? Because I know, like, in the U.S., like, people have been following, like, all the protests that have been happening and stuff. Like, do you think it was, like, over-dramatized? Or do you think that it's, like, no, this was a big deal? Like, what were your feelings on that? Um, well, in terms of the immigration stuff, um, I remember my host kids both years trying to tell me that there were no racists in France. And I was like, um, based on like Marine Le Pen's success, I'm going to go with that's not true. Yeah. 
Um, and I think, I mean, this, like, right-wing, like, fascism stuff is, like, on the rise all over the world. I think it's, like, not just a U.S. problem. It's also, like, a problem in France. It's a problem in the U.K. Like, it is everywhere. Um, so, and that's part of it is my host mom this year, um, she, like, was a manager of, like, I think she, I don't know what her exact job was, but she had a ton of direct reports. Yeah. A lot of them in the UK, a lot of them in Paris, like, she had a ton of direct reports. Like, I think she probably managed, she was, like, one of the, like, really, really high ups in her company, so she managed probably, like, three or four hundred people. Yeah. And she told me that when she institutes changes, French people will complain and complain and complain, but they'll fall in line, and that British people, they will be very quiet about it, but then they will (laughs) all just, like, quit. Yeah. And she was, like... French people will be loud, but they will, like, never actually do anything, and then, which also, like... Yeah, obviously it's a generalized example. It's a generalized (laughs) example, obviously. But it's just very funny to see, like, how, like, like, like you said, like, protesting is just so much of the French pathos, and, like, I'm not gonna lie, French people love to complain. (laughs) Um, Like, that's, like, a very big thing. Like, I feel like in the U.S. it's almost, like, really, really rude to be like, oh, you're such a complainer. Like, I feel like that's a really, like, not cool thing to say to someone. Yeah. Um, but in the, in the French, like, in France, if you're like, ah, oh, you're complaining, like, the person's like, yeah, so? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, oh, it's just like a thing to do. Like, it's like, Bleh. Yeah. But they, and they know it. Like, multiple of my French teachers are like, oh, yeah, we just, like, we complain a lot. It's like a like, hobby, a national pastime. Exactly. And, like, when I had first got to France, like, uh, Macron had just come in, and I was like, oh, do the people, like, like him? And my host mom was like, yeah, we're going to find something to complain about no matter yeah. what. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that happens here, too. Like, no U.S. president comes out without oh, any criticism. No. But, yeah, it's definitely, like, especially in a smaller country where it's, like, your vote kind of matters more in a way. Like, obviously, yeah. it's, like, one vote, one person. But, like... The Fran- French, like, Macron is, like, a comp- he's, like, a peer to Trump, but, like, so that means that in that aspect, like, the French vote matters more than the American vote, so it's, like, you have more direct control over this. That is true. Um, well, that's all very interesting. I don't want to keep um, blathering on for too long, because we've gone over an hour, but oh is there God. any other um, French versus American stuff that you noticed, or any last comments before we I miss being depart? Able- I miss being able to drink outside. That's true. Although I, I did drink like, outside the other you day. You did. But, like, ugh. But I miss yes, legally. I miss legally being able to have, like, a roadie beer. Yes. That was, like, nice. <laughs> that is nice. I would say. And we then, can take a trip to New Orleans or Vegas or something. And, like, drinking in a park. Drinking yeah. in a park is, like, one of my great joys in life. That's and true. And it makes me very sad that I can no I also I miss, do that in Central Park, but. I miss the picnic culture. That was a big thing. Is as yeah. soon as weather got nice, every single French person would just like flood every park, yeah. <laughs> and there would just be like picnics as far as the eye could see. Yeah, that is nice. So yeah, we should take more advantage of that. Seeing yeah, we are close to next. Parks. Yeah, next summer. Yeah, picnic central. Cool. Well, thank you so much for the update. Yeah, um, thank you for having me. Is there any place you want to be found online, or you want to be? I mean, I'm sure people who listen to this already know where to yeah, find you. Yeah, already know where to find me. <laughs> For maybe the new um, listeners, if there's any yeah, stuff you want to plug. Yeah, um, I'm not really, I have a Twitter. I never, like, almost never post on it. Like, um, yeah, I'm just at Jenny Mayfield on Instagram. Um, it's Jenny with an IE, which people recently have not picked up on. Nope. Um, and then also, if you do want to follow me, I have a private account because mm. I am now, like, a government worker yeah. of Plankton. 
Um, so I do need to keep some of my wilder exploits <laughs> private. So just like send me a DM and be like, hey, listen to the pod and I want to follow you. So just let me know. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, campers. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.